Hi, and welcome to Milfy Rich. I'm your host, Jenny Jector. This podcast is all about motherhood, the heavy emphasis on the ways that we nurture ourselves and the ways that we self-abandon. I'll be sharing personal growth stories and tools from my own life and the lives of my clients, as well as conversations with experts who are helping to shatter old paradigms of motherhood so that women everywhere can embrace what it means to be fully alive and fully themselves. It's time to get lit and embrace your intoxicating aliveness. Hello and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. (laughs) I wanted to share my story today. I feel so inspired in this moment to share exactly how I came to want to help people create a better relationship with alcohol and kind of the layers behind um, my own experience and even this revelation I had this morning and this almost like psychic death that I am experiencing right now of a certain part of myself. Um, So I, first I want to tell you this morning, I was messaging with a few people in a a group, like a workout group that I have. And I was telling them how my belly is both bloated and it is, has more fat on it. (laughs) And that I, um, you know, over the past month, since my son's birthdays in early September, I've just been like on this cake spree and basically like pretty much every day there's been cake in the house and I've been eating it. And I didn't realize until today that not only had I been eating it, but I'd been eating it without shaming myself. Like I wasn't shaming myself that I wanted to enjoy birthday experiences with cake and that I had cake after the birthday experiences and that there is this part of me that just really enjoys sweets. And part of it is just this, you know, desirous, um, you know, craving for dopamine of my brain, but there's another part of it too, which is my inner child who really wanted to have sweets more often than she was allowed. So she really was like around a lot this past month. And I let her have what she wanted. I just did. I just let her have cake every day. And I didn't shame myself for it. And it felt really good. It felt really good to just enjoy food and just enjoy the experience of something that I love. And now, like I definitely have like put on some weight around my belly. I can see it. I can feel it. I also have some bloating because that is what happens for me. Like when I have too much dairy or too much processed food, I get bloated. And I was telling my group about it. And I realized like this morning, my brain very early in the morning was kind of like looking at my belly. I was actually doing some meditations where you put your hand on your belly and you feel it breathing up and down. And I noticed my brain wanting to say some commentary about this extra 
um, said feeling that I had like this extra weight, like this extra bulge or whatever it was. Um, I noticed my brain wanted to do that. And I just was like, Oh no, it's okay. Like we don't do that. We don't do that anymore. We don't shame body shame ourselves anymore. And it hit me today that this part of myself who has been conditioned to shame me and my body and its physical changes, whether they are intentional or unintentional, um, is no longer uh, in the forefront of my experience. This part of me who this part of me who used to like command me to feel shame about my body and shame about my choices and then call in this other part of me who would then create this experience of excessive uh, restriction or excessive exercise in order to counteract what I had quote unquote done to myself. I realized like this part does not have the control anymore of me. And this was the big part of myself that really dominated my disordered eating that started when I was 15 years old was in full effect until I was 35 when I had my first child. Was I 35 when I had my first? I think so. (laughs) So I was both bulimic and anorexic for 20 years. Um, and sometimes it was not as intense and sometimes it would ramp back up. Um, but it was definitely something that happened up until I was 35. Even if I was only, you know, making myself throw up like once every six months, it still was going on in my life. And that, but the shame around food and the shame around my body was definitely a constant whether or not I had the activity of um, bulimia happening in, you know, in the forefront. And this experience this morning of seeing how far I've come to heal this shaming aspect of myself and this shaming aspect of my um, eating disorder, really like, it made me emotional and I don't want to cry, but I might (laughs) because I can see, I would have never been able to touch this part of myself had I not addressed the drinking issues because they're sort of concurrent, right? And I think a lot of you who might start to listen to this podcast um, in because you believe like that, you know, I'm going to be talking about drinking a lot and and you know that that is how, who I mostly work with in my, my private practice and coaching. Um, you know, I, I will be talking about this so much about why we over drink and the layers behind it. And for me, drinking a couple glasses of wine quieted my shame brain. So my shame brain, this part of me who wanted to probably just eat like a normal person and not restrict or, and just wanted to like be fed 
be a woman who was like nourished and fed and not um, under eating. Uh, drinking allowed me to eat and it allowed me to binge eat without judgment. And that was what this part of my mind wanted to do. It wanted to binge eat, um, often probably because I had under um, nourished myself throughout the day, um, not eating enough really throughout weeks at a time. And so that's a lot of times why binges do happen. But this part of me needed to be able to do this without judgment. So my drinking primarily, and it, it, there's many layers to why I drank more than I wanted to, but the main one for me was that I wanted to be able to eat what I wanted without shaming myself. And that's often what happened. So I would have a couple glasses of wine um, and then I would eat as much pizza as I wanted. And then I would go and I would tell myself, I would have this experience of telling myself, you're not going to shame yourself tomorrow. You're not going to talk bad about yourself. This is fine. This is totally okay that you're doing this. That was what my mind would tell me as I'm doing this. You're, it's okay that you're doing this. And I'm going to be honest, it probably was. It probably was okay that I was eating pizza, but my mind had to be quieted. My mind, and, that, and that's what drinking often does for us, is it stops the internal judge. It turns down the knob of the judger so that we can have like a little bit of distance from that experience that's going on inside of us. Now that's not true for everyone, right? Like we all have millions of different reasons why we drink, but I just know a lot of people who are in so much self-judgment and use alcohol to quiet the judge. And so for me, the, the judger was always around my body, always had so much to say about the shape, the size, um, how it felt, everything, what who I would be attractive to, what my worth was. And this, the drinking behavior and the habit of drinking really was an aspect of wanting to quiet down a overactive judging mind who body shamed. Now, this is one aspect, right? As I, I can look back over my uh, late college and or early college, late high school, early college years, going into my 30s and see where maybe I didn't drink a lot. But when I did drink, I got hammered. Like that kind of hammered where it's like you, you think you might be dead the next morning. You know, and when you're in your 20s, that doesn't last longer than a day. But then when you're in your thirties, your hangovers last several days. <laughs> right. So it wasn't even that like I drank a lot or like drank frequently, but I started to just drink. Um, when I would drink on the weekends, it was usually some sort of binge. And I think that that really became a remembrance that I'm having like in the past couple of weeks, because I was looking through some old Facebook pictures and saw all these drinking photos. 
And I was like, damn, Jenny, you sure did put it on. Like you sure did put it on with the alcohol. <laughs> and, and I don't know a lot of people who don't have those pictures on Facebook. Like you can probably scroll back through your life and see where you have several time periods of excessive drinking. And sometimes we deal with the emotional issues that might be causing that. And sometimes we don't, right? So sometimes those are still back in in the crevices of our body and the crevices of our mind wanting to um, gain our attention. Uh, But the, the habit of drinking for me as it became more of an annoyance really started to surface as I spent um, many years working in the alcohol industry. And I was working in the alcohol industry for almost 14 years. And it, it just became really normal to drink daily, if not every other day. And that didn't feel good. Over time, it didn't feel good. Like over time, what was happening for me is I was noticing my body shaming ramping up because I wouldn't take care of myself in the ways that we want to for just like health, being healthy, you know, like exercising, eating good food, like that is like nutrient dense. And you know, getting to sleep and drinking water, like these basic sort of foundational things that you do to feel good in your body, they weren't happening as much. I wasn't drinking as much water. I was getting crappy sleep. I was waking up not in time to do exercise. So it wasn't just that I had this like teensy drinking habit thing happening. It was that along with this teensy drinking habit, I had dropped off of really compounding, wonderful habits that make me feel good. So when you have your well-being habits coming offline and you're drinking, ramping up, coming online, you can imagine this sort of like inverse relationship to your overall happiness that is happening. So that's kind of what happened for me is it just became harder for me to feel good. It just became harder for me to feel good on my own. And I think when I really noticed some of my own, maybe like unhealed trauma coming up is when that, and that there's this unhealed trauma that was coming up that I was possibly using alcohol to evade This happened when I was actually in my coach certification program and I got feedback for some of my coaching and immediately coming down from the feedback, I felt so anxious and felt this really familiar feeling, which I would come to later identify as like rejection. And I wanted a glass of wine and this is, I think on a Monday. I immediately was like, I need a glass of wine. And that became a real eye opener for me. I was like, wow, you, 
are just having an emotion. You don't want to drink, but you can't handle being with yourself right now. So you're going to drink. You're going to have a glass of wine. And I think I probably just had one and a half glasses that night, but it started to really make me question how much of my emotional life have I been avoiding? How much have I been self-rejecting because I'm either unaware of what's going on inside me. I'm unaware of my own mental processes. I'm unaware of what these emotions even feel like and how to identify them. I don't have the capacity to hold space for myself in order to process them. I don't know how to process them. And all this became really in my awareness. Now I had, I had wanted to work on my drinking since 2017. And that was when I really started to like look at things and start to question things, but I didn't actually do the work until 2019. And I took alcohol out for 105 days. And in that 105 days, essentially what I did was I deconditioned my desire for alcohol. So when we think of um, classical conditioning, which is um, what uh, Pavlov created as a way of showing how you could have a cause and effect without the actual uh, experience of the reward. So he had his, and I'm doing a really dumped down explanation of this, okay? So if you're a psychologist or someone really smart out there, <laughs> don't don't at me with it, okay? But basically, and I, and I have a master's in counseling, but I forgot all this stuff. So I'm just doing like a remembrance of it. Um, basically, the experiment was that Pavlov would have dogs and he would bring them in to feed them. And he would see, you know, their, their mouths start to salivate at the food. So then he would start to ring a bell and feed the dogs simultaneously. And again, the dog's mouths would salivate and because there's food and there is also the um, now concurrent sound of the bell happening. So over time, what would happen is with this, this conditioning of bell food salivation, when Pavlov took away the food, the bell would create salivation anyways. And so we are like that too, as human beings, that we don't actually have to have the experience of the reward in front of us. We can just be thinking about the reward and start salivating, meaning like we have desire for it. We feel motivated to get it right. And so this is kind of how our, our thoughts work around drinking And this doesn't even go into, you know, the reasons why we might be wanting to numb out with alcohol and evade emotion or start to feel a more elevated emotion in certain situations where we feel like I'm not happy enough. I need to get happier. But this is basically like a basic conditioning process that happens that you don't actually even know why you want a glass of wine. You just want one. 
And over time, it's because we have just practiced thinking about alcohol in so many varied ways. And so this deconditioning process that I took myself through helped me to be able to see the way that my mind asked me to give myself alcohol, asked me to give myself a glass of wine, the way my mind suggested all the time that I have wine. You know, when we first start drinking, it's not like we are thinking about drinking all the time, but we start to, and there's so many layered and varied reasons why. I know for me that if I had never done the work on my drinking, I would never be able to do the work on my disordered eating and what I would call extreme body shaming behavior. And I think that for a lot of adult women and specifically mothers, and maybe not just mothers, because I know like, like our bodies just change with hormones and with menopause. And, but I know like for mothers, because I have coached a lot of mothers that there is this experience that we don't even recognize our bodies anymore. Right. After we go through the experience of pregnancy, there can be this like foreign nature to our bodies and how uncomfortable that can feel and how pressured we can feel to create the shape we had before or some variants of it. And if you're someone who never gave yourself permission to decide how you want to your body to look, not just on society standards, but on yours, drinking can be a really easy way to hide different eating disorders and different body shaming. And so that today is is really like what I wanted to share with you because it's a portion of a larger, much more complex and much more nuanced story of my drinking, which over time we will talk about. And I love to share it because there's no shame in the experiences that we have of being human, being women in culture, in cultured to oftentimes unrealistic ideals and not necessarily being given the right tools in order to heal ourselves or to navigate the complexities of what's actually going on for us, both emotionally and physically and mentally. And so really what I hope for in the next few years, the next few months with this podcast is to write permission slips, permission to feel, permission to explore, permission to understand, permission to have empathy, permission to have compassion, permission to do something different than you've done before, 
permission to look at the nuances of why you do certain things and why you don't. And just really like opening up the space for curiosity. You know, I, my desire is that women create beautifully supportive and healthy boundaries around their drinking so that they can feel good. And so that when we are feeling good, because we have these wonderfully supportive boundaries, we inspire others to feel good. We inspire others to be their best selves, whatever that looks like on any given day, even if it doesn't look that good. (laughs) I think that's it for today. I'm so happy that you joined me and I will see you next time.